Hi there, everyone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your presence with us. We open our hearts to learn from you. Come and have your way. Holy Spirit, you are our teacher and we welcome you. We want to grow in you. We want to come to know you more and more. So come and help us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I trust that you're all doing very well. Today, I want to share with you a message that I believe is really powerful and it's entitled, Are You Growing? Are you growing? You know, often during revival, people are prayed for, miracles take place. We've had powerful encounter moments, powerful victory Sundays. People get goosebumps and people shake. But sadly, it doesn't always translate to personal growth. You see, when revival comes, what is dead comes to life and we grow. One of the, the definitions of life one of the aspects of life is that there's always growth wherever there's life. And if you're not growing, then you can put question marks on whether there's actually life. Many of us boast spiritually and we say the life of God is here. Well, wherever there's life, there must be growth. And so the key question with all the revival taking place is, are you growing as a Christian? We've been talking quite a lot about seasons of waiting. And we've been talking about the sanctification process that takes place while we are waiting, that God wants to see, are we going to grow even before our breakthrough? You see, whether it's revival, whether it's good times or bad times, God is interested in our growth. Are, am I becoming more like Christ? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 through to 18, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Some translations say from glory to glory. We are going from glory to glory. You see, one of the outcomes of experiencing his glory in times of personal revival is that we are transformed. As you look at Jesus, you become like him to the degree to which you behold him. You become like that which you behold. You might not be where you want to be, but you're certainly not where you used to be. You're not where you were before. And you see, that is transformation. And so I'll ask again, are you growing? One of the gaps in the body of Christ today is a clear theology of growth and personal transformation. Does God have an expectation about your current rate of growth and personal transformation? The answer to that question is yes. He does have expectations. What is your current growth trajectory? Think about that. Are you becoming more like Jesus or less and less like him? If you compare yourself today with last year, can people around you see more of Jesus this year than they did last year? Someone once said that being a Christian is like riding a bicycle. You have to keep moving or else you'll fall. And you know, it's so interesting as a distance runner, I know that if I want to break a record, whether it's for a half marathon or a 10K, and I want to do that particular um, race in a specific time. And when I say break a record, I'm not talking about breaking records out there. I don't think I'm going to be doing that, but I'm talking about breaking my own personal record, doing a personal best. 
And um, if I want to get a certain time, I literally have to come up with a plan for it. And there are great coaches out there that give you plans. They say, if you want to do 5Ks in this time, here's a training program. If you want to do 10Ks in this time, here's a training program. If you want to do 21Ks under this time, here's a training program. So we're used to that when it comes to sport. When it comes to the workplace, many of you listening to this message, you've got a personal development plan, right? And you hear everyone talking about it at the start of the year. What's your PDP for this year? You know, hey, here's my personal development plan. And then you can claim funds for, from your organization based on that. But somehow when we become Christians, we think we're very patient because we're just yielding to the Lord and we're allowing things to just flow and he'll just grow me. But we're actually being passive and we're not taking ownership of our own development and our own growth. So my question to you is, do you have a personal development plan for your Christian growth? Therefore, in this message, I'm going to highlight the importance of growth as a fundamental of Christian discipleship. And then from there, I'll explain different areas in which we can grow. There's your prayer life. There's loving people, growing and loving people, becoming more compassionate as a person. There's your giving. We'll talk a bit about that. And then what I'm also going to do is I'm going to give you some incisive questions that will actually help you to develop a growth plan for your Christian walk. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through to 13, it says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are dull of hearing. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to reteach you the basic principles of God's word. You need milk, not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is still an infant, inexperienced in the message of righteousness. So I asked you earlier on, does God have an expectation concerning your growth rate? Yes, he does. Because here in the book of Hebrews, in verse 12 of, of chapter 5, it says, although by this time you ought to be teachers. So after a certain period of time, there's expectation of what we should be capable of doing. Ever wondered which time this was referring to when it says by this time you ought to be teachers? Somewhere along the line, we have to ask ourselves if God has an expectation for our growth. The writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is challenging a group of people. We don't know what the timeline actually was. Maybe you became a Christian last year or five years ago, and God has an opinion about your growth. Your growth should be characterized by maturity that comes to you as a Christian. According to child development, there are certain milestones, aren't there? And we know that if a child is not yet talking at such and such an age or walking by such and such an age, we get concerned because we say they've got developmental gaps. I wonder what God's perspective is on where you should be as a Christian by now, where I should be as a Christian by now. When you compare yourself with other Christians around you who are babies in the Lord, are you impressed with yourself? Don't compare yourself with other people. Compare yourself with your potential. How long have you known the Lord for? You see, it's so easy to feel relaxed, isn't it, when we compare ourselves with mediocrity. But God 
is looking at you and he's looking at your potential and his expectations of you. And this is what I always say. Do not compare yourself with people around you who are mediocre. Compare yourself with your potential. I'm also challenged to take stock of my own life. Where should I be by now? What am I called to? And for someone who's known the Lord for these years, what is God's expectation of me? I can't compare myself with anyone else. I believe that one of the attributes of successful people is that they identify barriers to their success and then they create steps to overcome these barriers. What's blocking you from growing? What's keeping you stagnant in specific areas of your life? Are you judging your spiritual development just based on one area? Maybe you're a prayer warrior, but are you hospitable? Are you full of compassion? Maybe you're a great teacher of the word and you've got the gift of the gab, but are you strong in the spiritual gifts? Many times I have to evaluate myself as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as a communicator, as a lecturer, as a son, as a brother, as a friend. I was at a friend's 50th just the other day. And as people began to say wonderful things about this friend that was so powerful and so true, it challenged me. What am I like as a friend to my friends? In terms of being a husband, I think one of the best places you can get feedback from is your wife. Because we judge ourselves, you see, by our intentions. But other people judge us by the impact of our behavior. And there are times when I've had intense fellowship with my wife where she's saying, but this is how it impacts me. And I'm defending myself and I'm explaining myself. And she says, but this is how it impacts me. And she's right. And I need to look carefully at that and actually say, how am I as a husband? Now, the good news is that Jesus came to help us grow. Jesus says, come and follow me. And when we follow him, three things happen. The first is he gives us purpose. That's a deep sense of meaning, deep sense of direction. But the second thing is that he teaches and he shows us how to do what he has called us to do. And then the third thing is that he makes us into something we were not. He says, come to me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So with God, it's always an upgrade. It's always an upgrade. Isn't that powerful? Jesus doesn't call us for us to remain aimless and simply exist. And that's where many Christians are at. Yes, Jesus called me. But what are you doing with your life? Often when I'm coaching people in the corporate world, I ask them whether they like who they're becoming. And I'm shocked by the number of people who've said to me, you know what, Paul, I don't like who I'm becoming. They tell me, Paul, I don't like who I'm becoming. I'm concerned. And part of the coaching process is saying, who do you want to become? Right? Let me remind you of who you can become, of who you really are. And let's come up with a plan to get you there. So in Matthew 4, 19 in the NIV, it says, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. In the NLT, it says, Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. You were fishing for fish, I'll show you how to fish for people. In the ESV, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers. Of men. When you choose to follow Jesus, he will give you a commission just as he gave one to the disciples. There's an assignment for every single person here on earth and he will make it clearer and clearer to you as you follow him. 
if we have truly come to Jesus and are following him, then the result is some form of growth and transformation. You cannot be with Jesus and remain the same. We discover our purpose, we learn from him, and we become something that we were not. You know, um, some time ago I was in prayer and the Lord said to me, my people have forgotten that they can learn from me. I have something to say on all aspects of life. You see, Jesus said, come and learn from me, for I'm humble and I'm gentle. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In the NLT, it reads, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. So you might be here today and you might say to me, Paul, you're talking about us growing, but how do we actually grow? Well, Jesus is your teacher and Jesus says, come, come and learn from me. He can teach you. I remember there was a time when I was about to embark on some uh, postgraduate study program and the people were speaking to us and they were on purpose trying to intimidate us, showing us how difficult it is. And I'd heard that some grown men on the program uh, were actually crying because it was so tough. Uh, some people were slitting their wrists uh, because it had become so difficult for them, right? Uh, and I was praying about it uh, because it was daunting for me. But God whispered gently to me and said, I can do it with you. I can do it with you. Let me do it with you, right? God led me to scriptures like this. In John 14, uh, verse 26, it says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He's your teacher. In John 16, verse 13, However, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak what he hears, and he will declare to you what is to come. So we shouldn't be stuck in the mentality that we cannot achieve certain milestones because we're not on our own. You're not on your own. The Holy Spirit is there for you. Being led into all truth means everything that you need to know. Everything that you need to know. You'll prosper mentally. What is true prosperity? It's having, having everything that you need in order to do what God has called you to do. If God has called you to do that particular academic endeavor, guess what? He gives you the mind to be able to succeed in it. I believe that the Bible tells us very clearly that we have the mind of Christ. I believe that very strongly. We've got the mind of Christ. Whatever you want to grow in, the Holy Spirit will teach you. There's such a proper foundation before we start really going deeper into this. Whatever you want to grow in, the Holy Spirit will teach you. Going deeper, we see that growth and transformation is actually learning, isn't it? It's about learning. And you cannot experience growth without learning. And the word disciple in the Greek is actually the word methetes, which literally means to learn. And it actually describes someone who sits under teaching. That's a disciple, someone who sits under teaching. And the teaching transforms them and they become something that they were not. And you know, my definition for the word learn is basically this. Learning is the acquisition of knowledge with a resultant change in cognitive processes, in attitude, in values, and behavior, right? 
So it's not just about acquiring information. And many people tend to measure learning uh, by that. How much information do you acquire? No, it's actually to do with the resultant change in how you think, in your attitude, in your values, in your behavior. This is so important, right? And many people do not pray and grow because they don't know the reward. Many people don't learn because they don't know the reward. Jesus was willing to die on the cross because he knew what was going to come out of that, the salvation of mankind, right? If someone says, I want to give you a million dollars, but this is what you need to do. You need to come to this obscure town called X, and it's 500 Ks from where you live, but come at 2 a.m. and meet me there, and I will give you the two million you will do whatever you can, right? Or the million. I'll give, you, I'll give you this cash if you come, but it has to be at that time and it has to be in that town. You will do it because you know the reward. Many times we don't truly learn. We don't truly learn. We don't truly take the time to acquire knowledge with a resultant change in our cognitive processes, in our attitudes, values, and behavior simply because we don't fully know the reward of the learning. I believe that knowledge does make you powerful. Knowledge does give you influence. Tapping into the mysteries of God in different aspects of life takes you places. When you know the reward, there'll be no excuses. When you know the reward, there'll be no excuses. And the sad thing in scripture is we see quite a number of people who made excuses for not following Jesus, for not learning, for not growing. I don't know if you are like this, but in Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 62, it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me to first go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you. But first permit me to go and say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. On many occasions, people say that they've decided to follow Jesus. But like the people in this passage, you know, uh, they've got businesses to run. And the business is more important than following Jesus. They've got family. And very often you see their family pulling them back. And it could be a case of, you know what, I want to please this brother. I want to please this cousin. I need to do this. I need to do that. I know of people where for weeks on end, they just don't come to church. They don't gather with the saints. And it's like, oh yeah, my cousin brother was visiting. Oh yeah, my parents are around, so I can't come. And I say to myself, is fellowshipping with the saints a priority for you? One of the things we do is, if people are visiting us, they know. Sundays we go to church, right? They can either come with us or they can stay and do something else, but we're going. That's what we do. It's a priority for us, right? How passionate are you? about following Jesus? How passionate are you about your own development? In Luke 14, Jesus again shared in a similar parable. Luke 14, 16 to 19, it says, But he said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he, and he invited many. 
And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. What excuses are you making that keep you mediocre in your walk with the Lord? The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. <laughs> okay, that was his excuse. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. I find it interesting that so many of these distractions were linked to mammon. Mammon is that demonic spirit that controls materialism and greed in the world. Isn't that interesting? Here we see that business interests were getting in the way of this man coming to learn. This man coming to Jesus. Are your business interests stopping you from coming to Jesus and learning from him? Getting an assignment from heaven and becoming someone in him. Some business people say that they are kingdom financiers and that's all they do, right? They end up failing to come to church and their children are not being discipled and they're not reaching the lost. Because in their minds, it's like, it's all about just financing the kingdom. That's all I do. As long as I'm tithing, as long as I'm giving, then I'm called. Pastor should be grateful. That's my role in the kingdom. Now, that's a wonderful role to play. But how I many of you know that it's not a complete picture of a disciple, right? So financing the kingdom becomes an excuse for not reaching out personally to people. The man who bought land wanted to go and look at the land. You know, some people do that. They've done all the work during the week and so on, but weekends they actually have to go back to work and, ah, I just like being here. Let me just see. Oh, let me recount all my money. Oh, let me just see, see my land again, all right? It's ironic because people buy land after having assessed it, don't they? Right? Same goes with the person who's bought the oxen. So why did you want to go back and have a look at them again, right? This sounds like just another excuse not to participate. In Luke 14, 19 to 24, another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the cities and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. Maybe right now Jesus is inviting you to go deeper in your walk with him, deeper in the faith, and you're not coming forth. And maybe he's now saying, you know what? I really want to use you in this particular area, but you needed to have the preparation and I wanted you to learn and I wanted you to grow. And I kept asking and inviting you, asking and inviting you. But now it's time for me to look elsewhere, right? To look elsewhere to those who might come because I love imparting revelation. I love sharing with my people, my mysteries. I want you to learn and I want you to grow and I keep inviting you. See, Jesus is inviting you to learn from him. He's inviting you to grow and become great in the spirit, to do signs, to do wonders, to go to your next level 
And my prayer for you is that you will not make excuses. If you look at learning and growth in the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, we actually see that there was a culture of learning and personal growth followed by action. If you look at the disciples who followed Jesus, they were just sitting under his teaching. In Acts chapter 2, it actually shows that when the disciples had reached out to people, many of them were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. That's basically the apostles' teaching, right? Devotion is giving yourself wholly to a particular aspect And the activity of the New Testament church was filled with learning and going out and practicing what had been taught. And the problem today is we have a lot of superficial learning, don't we? You know, you've got a lot of people driving, but they haven't got a license. They're unlicensed drivers, right? So they they sort of know how to drive. And if you ask them, do you know how to drive? They'll say, I know how to drive, but you can see it's superficial. It's superficial. I believe that God wants to take us to a place if we say, hey guys, let's go and cast out demons. We know like we know like we know how to do so. Let's go and reach the lost. We know how to have a conversation to bring someone to Christ. Hey, let's minister to a child. We know how to do so. Let's lead a prayer meeting. We know how to do so. Let's go and heal the sick. We know how to do so. It's not something just for pastors. It's not something just for fivefold ministry. You see, and so many Christians have this mindset of, as long as I'm a good person, I don't cheat on my wife, you know, I'm a tither, I go to church every Sunday, and we settle there. But God wants to take us to another level. God wants to take us to another level. There's much more about being a Christian, right? There's much more about being a Christian than those things. Hosea 4 verse 6 says, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. My wife and I love this scripture because it emphasizes that people perish not because they don't know anything, but because they don't know enough. It says, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge, not because of no knowledge, a lack of knowledge, right? Leaders are readers. I keep saying that. If you struggle to read, then listen to audiobooks, listen to messages. Don't use your inability to read well as an excuse not to acquire knowledge. In Titus 2, it says, the older women are being instructed in Titus it, to, in, to instruct. So it's older women, we're instructing you to instruct the younger women in their lifestyle, in how they should love their husbands and love their children. Powerful. Okay? That's another way of gaining knowledge, getting mentorship, getting discipleship. So I want to encourage you, develop a growth plan. Like I said at the start, If you want to go to your next level, you have to plan for it. You have to plan for it. And I want to encourage you today to come up with a plan in different areas of your life, not just in one area. So as an individual, the first thing to do is establish the areas in which you would like to grow. Okay? Don't try to grow in everything at once. All right? Growth plans are effective, especially when they're specific. Okay, and here's some suggestions to consider. Maybe you want to grow in your womanhood or your manhood. What are you going to do about that? Okay, maybe you want to grow in prayer, in spiritual warfare. Maybe you want to grow in your parenting skills, and that can be divided up. Maybe it's to do with disciplining your kids, maybe it's to do with how to have devotions with them, or how to develop an emotional connection with your children. Maybe you want to grow in your time management and maybe specifically it's to do with boundaries. 
Maybe you want to grow in overcoming perfectionism. Maybe you want to grow in healing the sick, in listening skills, in your leadership journey. Maybe you want to grow in learning how to reform your industry. Maybe you need to grow in Christian foundations, in overcoming fear. Maybe you're in a space in your life where you need victory over an addiction. And so you want to grow in that area. Let me say something. You cannot separate deliverance from discipleship. It's not just about, pastor, pray for me that I'm delivered from this thing. It's also about, you know what? I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to get to the root of this thing. Maybe you want to grow in health and nutrition. As I say these things, whatever jumps out at you, just note it down as an area of growth, an area of development where you're saying, next three months, I'm going to focus on these things. Maybe you need to focus on self-esteem and personal wholeness. What about forgiveness? Just understanding how to let go. What about worship in terms of worship and song? What about children's ministry? Maybe you want to grow in the spiritual gifts or in evangelism. Maybe you want to grow in the prophetic and maybe specifically in hearing God's voice. Maybe you've come to a place where you've realized I'm strong in many areas, but I need to learn how to manage money. Maybe you've come to a place where you realize I'm strong in many areas, but I need to develop my marriage and work on it and stop blaming my wife and focus my, on my own development in this area. Maybe you want to grow in public speaking. One of the ways of developing that is not just by learning about it, but it's also practicing it. Maybe you want to grow in your knowledge of the word and basic discipleship. Maybe you want to grow in learning to love again because you've been hurt before. Maybe you want to learn a musical instrument. I've given you a variety of areas there that you can focus on in terms of areas of growing. I want to encourage you, demonstrate curiosity and do word studies on any given subject and you will surely grow. With these topics that I've shared with you, you can actually break them down further. For example, when it comes to spiritual gifts, you can focus on a specific spiritual gift, maybe just the prophetic right? Maybe the healing gifts. Choose what you want to focus on for a particular season and specifically identify what you need to learn, right? Identify what you need to learn. That's so, so important. So in order to grow in this particular area, what do I need to learn, right? So that you notice when learning opportunities come your way, right? If you're conscious of desiring to learn about spiritual warfare, you're going to be more aware of the subject. You will notice when, oh, this has come up on spiritual warfare. All right. And I want to encourage you. It's just like if you uh, have decided I want to buy a yellow car, all of a sudden you'll start noticing yellow cars wherever you go. Then make a decision after you've decided which area it is. Who's going to mentor me in this area? You see, you don't necessarily just have one mentor for everything in life. Okay, there's no one who's that good at every single thing in life, right? But identify someone who's ahead of you, who can help you in those areas. What books, what material will you go through? Speak to your pastors, speak to your leaders, because they'll be able to say, uh, that one is a bit dodgy, but rather use this one. And they can lend you books or you can purchase books. Invest in your learning. It's so important. There are powerful YouTubes out there. You know, some of the topics that I've mentioned here, I've got books on them. I've got material on them. If you pop me an email, I will send you the material. But be specific about your growth plan. The second thing is identify and overcome the barriers to your growth. This is, again, so important. Here's some common barriers to our growth when it comes to learning. 
The first one is this, and if you can identify with any of these, just note them down and repent of them. The first one is this, thinking that learning will happen without any effort on your part. Just through osmosis, ooh, I'll just learn, okay? Don't assume that things will just happen, right? It leads you to end up being so mystical about learning instead of being intentional about learning. The second barrier is not planning your growth intentionally. If you don't plan it, it will not happen. You have to carve out time in order for you to actually learn specific things. This is crucial. What's planning? What's planning? To plan is to prepare the details beforehand. That's what planning is, is to prepare the details beforehand. The other barrier is irrelevance, learning the wrong subject. You know, learning something just because you enjoy the topic, but it's not really relevant to your life right now, right? Um, it's wrong to go so hard trying to learn something just because it's admired by other people, but it's not what you need for your assignment. Prioritize what you need for your assignment. Another barrier is looking to the wrong sources for your learning, right? Um, I bought a book some time ago, and the reason why I bought it um, is because it was based on research by a man with a PhD, right? My wife then warned me that even if it's from a person with a PhD on a particular subject, it's important to still make sure that the information being given is correct and lines up with the word of God, which is very true, all right? Because you, you see it with a lot of research, don't you? That sometimes the way the research was carried out was skewed and was biased, right? Um, there are times when I've been to certain bookshops and it happens to my wife and I where we'll walk to certain bookshops and I'm looking for a book on something to do with psychology because of my background or something like that. And then I literally feel this cobwebby feeling when I get there. There have been times when I'll pick a book and the moment I start reading it, I have this piercing headache. And then I look and I start seeing that, oh, this is something dodgy. All right. This is something new agey. And so the spirit of Christ in me is resisting whatever is in that particular book, and I literally have to put it down. Another barrier is never unlearning unhealthy patterns. You know that sometimes in order to learn new material, we need to unlearn the old. Jeremiah was called to uproot and to tear down, and then only afterwards to plant and to build. Otherwise, he would have built on the wrong foundation. And I believe that in our lives, we must be careful not to build on wrong foundations, okay? Because then we require the unlearning. So it's so crucial for you to, um, to unlearn what you need to unlearn, right? Um, another barrier is making unhealthy comparisons with others. Sometimes you hear people celebrating the fact that they're the only one with a degree in their family. And their motivation sometimes is, how will I stand out amongst my peers, amongst my siblings, okay? When they compare themselves to their potential, right, uh, Maybe they should be having four degrees by now, you see. So don't compare yourself with people around you, right? That may be average or mediocre. Another big barrier to our learning is complacency. We become very relaxed because we think, oh, I know a lot now because we're comparing ourselves to when we were, when we were younger. But do you know enough for your assignment, right? Another barrier is not differentiating between superficial knowledge and mastery. You see, just because you have skim read a book doesn't mean that you actually understand it, right? 
I was dealing with a client who was just making a comment about a learning process they've got in their workplace. And he says, I don't actually like it because you can actually sort of skim through it, do the multiple choice or just put certain answers and you get 100% just like that. But you, don't, you haven't really mastered it, right? And I believe that we should focus on mastering, really understanding what we are learning, right? Another big thing is not differentiating between knowledge and practice. Just because you've read up on something doesn't mean you've really learned because true learning takes place when you actually change how you think, when you change your attitude, when you change your values based on your learning and you start doing things differently. And that's why I always say perfect practice makes perfect. Another major barrier is letting someone else manage your learning and growth. This happens a lot as people become passive. You know, people can wait for the pastor to come up with a couple's retreat instead of actually saying, you know what, I want to develop my marriage. Let me go for marriage coaching now, right? I want to develop my marriage. Let me buy that marriage book and learn and grow and read it with my wife, all right? You know that Jesus taught the disciples to pray after they had asked him to teach him. They saw him praying and they said, Rabbi, teach us to pray, all right? And I believe that we need to be proactive about our own development. So important. Right? They learned a whole lot more because they were proactive about their development. Another big barrier to our learning is assuming that your environment will stay the same. So what tends to happen is we learned something 10 years ago and we think it's still relevant today. Right? You might have learned about computers back in the 80s where they were doing MS-DOS and that kind of thing. And you're like, yes, I'm a computer guru. But now they're using C++, uh, they're using, you know, new, uh, new things, new ways of coding. It's just gone to another level. But have you learned those particular things that are relevant for today? And here's the thing. One week, you might have a strategy that results in great compliments for you. But if you do that same thing after three months, I'm talking in your marriage, I'm talking at work, you see that, wait a minute, it's not relevant anymore. Keep upgrading yourself in any aspect of your life. Don't measure yourself based on past glory. Many people do that. Hey, remember those days when we did those personal prayer crusades? Remember those days when we would heal the sick and do those outreaches? And your self-concept, you see yourself as this great evangelist. But this year, 2022, how many people have you spoken to about Jesus? What is your current evangelistic outlook right now? Okay. Another major barrier to our learning is failure to keep appointments with ourselves. And this is lack of self-respect, isn't it? Many people are good at keeping appointments with other people. They don't want to drop those other people. But how many of you are good at actually saying, you know what, I can't meet with you today because I've got some personal development to do. I'm reading that book that Paul recommended. You see, your personal development is the best gift that you can give the people around you. You know, reading a book on women, for example, is the best gift I can give my wife, right? It might take me away from her for a few hours, but guess what? I come back a better husband because I understand women better, right? I might have new techniques in terms of how to understand her, how to treat her, how to be sensitive toward her. Your personal development is the best gift that you can give the people around you. And then finally, ask yourself incisive questions. 
And I want to take you through a process where I'm going to ask you some incisive questions about where you're at in terms of your learning and your growth right now. And when you download these notes, you can actually take yourself through this process and really do some work, almost like an individual workshop around this. So that my first question is, why have I not grown in this area in the past? Whatever area you've decided you want to grow in, ask yourself this question. Why have I not grown in this area in the past? Otherwise, history will repeat itself. The second is, of what must I repent? Of what must I repent? The third is, to what extent is growth in this area aligned with my life purpose? So is it relevant, the, this area of growth? Right? If we want God's grace to be on us as we learn, surely it has to be directed towards God's purpose. Right? Don't be learning a whole lot of things that aren't linked to his purpose. Right? You can't have a growth plan to become a better gambler, for example, because God, by his spirit, will probably not teach you that. Right? Um, the fourth is, how will learning this help me in my calling and my assignment you see, this makes it meaningful. How will learning this help me in my calling and my assignment? The fifth, what are the specific things I need to learn? What are the specific things I need to learn? And often it's actually a subset of something. It's not just about, oh, I want to learn to be a better parent. What aspect of parenting? Are you wanting to learn about discipline? Are you wanting to learn about how to start conversations with, with kids? What aspect of parenting is it? Don't label yourself as, oh, I'm just a bad parent. No, you're not just a bad parent. You probably have areas of growth that are very necessary in specific aspects of parenting. Okay? The sixth one is, why do I want to grow in this area? What's the motive? Right? What's the rationale behind this? Is your learning so that you look and you sound clever? Or is it to just get another title behind your name? Why do you want to do that PhD? Why do you want to do that particular course? Why do you want to go on that seminar? Is it to impress your pastors that you're a committed Christian? The seventh one, what are the consequences of not growing in this area? What happens if I stagnate in this area? Do I really understand the urgency of it? Often we don't do things and there's no lasting change in a particular area. Right? Because we haven't created a sense of urgency around it. There's no crisis. Right? What are the consequences of not growing in this area? I've had some people who know that, you know what, if we don't get help right now, we'll get divorced tomorrow. Right? And it motivates them in terms of coming for marriage coaching, for example. The eighth question is, what are the barriers to learning this? What are my current barriers? Is it because it's difficult for me to read, so I'm not a reader? Right? The ninth incisive question is, who can teach me? And am I humble enough to learn from them? The tenth one, what are the other sources of learning? What are my other sources of learning? Is there someone I can go to? That's one source of learning. Can I read a book? Can I go to a course? Can I go to a seminar? Can I have ongoing uh, mentorship? Do I need to go to that digital course, that online course? What do I need to do? Do I need to be listening to audiobooks as I drive? The 10th one, the 11th one, what are other methods of learning? For example, e-learning, personal mentorship. The 12th, 
What has been offered to me in the past? What has been offered to me in the past? Perhaps God has actually been inviting you to learn and grow in this area, but you've been saying no a lot. And now it's time to humble yourself and say, you know what, I need to do this. Okay? Perhaps you've missed previous opportunities. Maybe you missed a course on how to grow in the prophetic because you were casual about your growth at that time. The 13th question, what do I need to unlearn? What do I need to unlearn? The 14th question, what will the learning cost? And this is cost in terms of time. And it's also cost in terms of money. The 15th, what is the time frame and milestone for the learning? And this is about your goals, isn't it? Right? In six months time, I need to have done this. By December, I need to have finished this course. I need to have registered for it by next week. Okay? Remember, a goal is a dream with a deadline. And sometimes we need to break these things down into bite-sized chunks. The 16th question is, how will the learning process fit into my current schedule? It's all very well to say, I want to learn about the prophetic. But it translates to time. It translates to time. 17. What will I have to say no to in order to embrace the yes of my growth? In other words, what, what is going to be on my stop to do list? Because I've now got a new start to do list based on my growth. Many times we make the mistake of just taking on new things, taking on new things without actually saying no to the old things. The 18th question, what is the picture I have of myself when I've grown in this area? Visualize yourself being that strong prayer warrior you want to be. Bring that, being that great husband you want to be. Being that great parent you want to be. What does it actually look like? Have a vision for transformation. You know that research has found that one of the reasons lasting change doesn't occur in people and in organizations is lack of vision. Lack of vision to actually guide the change. What am I changing to? The 19th question is, what opportunities will open up for me after I've gone through this learning process? In other words, what's the reward? You see, someone once said success is when opportunity and preparation collide. What I found in my life is there are times I'll prepare myself, prepare myself, prepare myself in a certain area. I'll develop a course, for example. I think it was the one I did on agility. Straight afterwards, I start getting requests. I remember someone, they said, Paul, can you do agility for a big organization? Can you do some training for us, please? All right. Can you do a talk on this? All right. So sometimes God wants to promote us. God wants to open doors for us, but he's waiting to see Are we prepared? Are we prepared? Success is when opportunity and preparation collide. And the 20th question is, when do I commit to start? When do I commit to start? See, some people may look at the aspect of learning and wonder what to start with. One way to start is your biblical foundation, making sure that your foundation in Christ is solid. If we do these things, we go to our next level of growth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we pray that you activate in us a desire to grow, a deeper sense of urgency around where we are at, that we would not stagnate, but we would go to our next level. May you do this in us. May we see this as fundamental to our walk with you, Lord God. 
I pray, Father, that you would do this for every single person listening to this message. A burning desire to develop and not to go backwards. Father, I pray that you would give us the grace to come up with these growth plans. That, Lord, we would know what areas to develop. We would know how long we need to be working on these things. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we would see the relational assets around us that can assist us to go to that next level. I pray, Lord God, for abundant grace as, we, as you inculcate in us this culture of learning and growth. We give ourselves to you as a people and we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you on your learning journey.